So if you have not gotten one of these scripture journals, I want to encourage you after the service today to drop by our little uh, hub out here in the foyer. We, we ordered hundreds of these, and they're gone, and so we ordered more. And what they are is the Gospel of John on one side, and then a place for you to write journal on the other side. And I'm, I have really been encouraged by hearing stories of people in promised land that have been studying the Bible and God speaking to you through his word. And I just want, if nothing else today, if you don't get anything else out of today, I want you to know that God is speaking and we can listen if we choose to. And he's speaking to us through his word and through life. And it's just a beautiful thing. So one of the practices that we're doing as a church is we're slowly reading the Gospel of John and studying it on Sunday. And we're going to be in chapter 2 today, the very second half of chapter 2. But I want to encourage you to slow read it, okay? And don't rush through it. But take a little section each day. You know, there's little subtitles in here. Read that little section. That's it. Read that section of 5 to 10, 12 verses. Pray. Read it again. Slowly. Say, Lord, speak to me. The next time you read it, you're going to read it three times. The third time you read it, I want you to put yourself in the scene. What do you smell? What do you see? What do you hear? What does it feel like? Is it daytime or nighttime or, you know, what's going on? Just put yourself in there and you're really asking God to speak to me. There's going to be a word that pops out. There's going to be a phrase and I want you to highlight it. Then I want you to go over here and I want you to journal Ask questions. I don't understand what this means. Or, God, I hear you speaking clearly about this. And you're just going to start writing. And there's been times that I've read it and I'm like, I'm getting nothing. <laughs> just to be honest with you. And uh, I'll just read it again. Read it again. Lord, speak to me. Because sometimes we got to get ourselves out of the way. We let God come in. And... Uh, Sometimes I'll just start writing, just start charting, drawing pictures, whatever. God starts speaking. So anyway, I really encourage you to get one of these. They're $5. But um, it's, it's a really, really neat journal for you to, to follow along on Sundays. And um, I encourage you to break that out at dinner time, or hanging out with your friends or family or at a coffee shop or at a restaurant. Just pull it out. Hey, let's read three, three verses and let's talk about what God is saying. So let me ask you this. What's your favorite movie refreshment? You go to the movies, what do you buy at the concession stand? Popcorn. Popcorn, yeah. What else? Milk duds. You got it. You got it. What was that? Pickles. All right. Hot tamales. Yes. Hot tamales are amazing. Aren't they? Erica and I get popcorn and peanut M&M's. That combination is deadly. Don't try it. If you've never tried it, don't try it because you'll be addicted to it. A Dr. Pepper, popcorn. Oh, man. They, theaters used to not sell concessions when I first started. But then uh, during the Great Depression, they were trying to make more money. They were trying to find ways to make more money. So... They started selling the refreshments in the theater, and, they, and popcorn was really cheap. 
So they started selling that. And now theaters make way more money on their concessions than they do your movie ticket. Uh, and you know that. You buy the tickets and then you go buy the refreshments. It's like, oh, my goodness. This was a lot of money that we just spent here. Uh, that idea, that concept of going, buying something and going in is kind of what happens in this text that we're reading today in John, the second chapter. It was like a concession stand out in front of the temple and the outer temple courts. They weren't eating these things that were being sold, but they were using them as sacrifices. And, um, and, and you, didn't have to, you didn't have to bring it. You could just buy it there. And there's a principle, another principle that I think is really interesting in this is that the Bible always says that people go up to Jerusalem. This is the Passover scene that we're going to be reading about today. Passover is when the Jews were celebrating the fact that the death angel passed over them. And uh, none of their kids died when they were leaving Egypt going into the promised land. There was a death angel that came and everybody that applied the blood of the lamb to their doorposts of their home, the death angel passed over. So every year, even now, 2024, Jewish people will celebrate Passover with different types of food and drink and traditions to thank God for his deliverance and his power. And so Jesus' day, they would make a trek to Jerusalem uh, from wherever they lived. If they lived near Jericho or Galilee or down south, uh, they, they would make the trek to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And they would always go up because Jerusalem was higher, just in altitude than, than the rest of the country. And uh, there's a very literal thing to that where they actually had to travel upwards to go worship in Jerusalem. But there's also something very spiritually powerful about that, figuratively, that we all, all of us came today and we're coming up together to worship God here in this venue. And you push through things to get here and worship God with your brothers and sisters, friends, and family members. And um, that, that's, what, that's what happens when people go up to Jerusalem and, um, and worship God up there. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. So John, second chapter 20. Or actually, we're going to start with verse 13 and go to 25. So John 2, 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those that were selling oxen, sheep, and pigeons, and money changers sitting there. So these are people selling things in the temple making money and there were money changers there changing different currencies and denominations and they were making their own cut on it. They were raising the percentage for the conversion rate so that they could make their own money. Jesus making a whip of cords. He, this stirred him up and this is one of the few places in the scripture we really see Jesus physically interacting in an emotional way. Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. Just like herded them all out. Get out of here. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. The physicality of this, these sounds, earlier I was talking about just what are your imaginations 
uh, experience as I'm reading this, but you just sense that there's a lot of emotion. Jesus overturning tables and money and pots flying all over the place, coins going everywhere. Um, the sheep and oxen like a herd leaving and this, the smells of all that. Everything that's going on. <laughs> Verse 16. He told those who sold pigeons, take these things away and do not make my father's house a house of trade. Somebody say trade. trade. His disciples remembered that it was written. This is Psalm 69. Zeal for your house will consume me. Now, when I was reading that text myself this year, actually last year I started this, it was that phrase right there that popped out to me. Zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house. What is the house? Well, in this context, it was a physical building. Zeal for your house will consume you. That's why Jesus went to that effort to clean it up and clean it out. Verse 18, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show, what sign do you show us for, the, for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple. And you're going to raise it up in three days? Now, stop there for a second. We, Pastor Emilio was just telling you about us expanding this building, expanding our parking lot, putting an event center up on the hill. We're thinking two years, you know, have all this completed. That's a long time. They're 46 years in and they're not finished yet. Okay, that, that was a big deal. A big building, very expensive a lot of work. But he wasn't talking about that physical edifice, it says, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. The temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So in this text right here, verses 18 through 22, this is a massive shift in the past, present, and future of the world. In this text right here, there is a shift of the temple going from a physical building. Now it is Jesus' physical body. It goes from being stone and wood to flesh and blood. This is big, and I don't want you to miss that. I don't want to rush past that. For those of you that are brand new, not familiar with the tradition of the temple, temples, temples are the place where God and people get together. That's what a temple is. A temple is a place where humanity and divinity can get together. The very first temple was the Garden of Eden. That's where Adam and Eve communed with God every day. And there was no need for a process. There was no need for a sacrifice. There's no need for all that legal framework because Adam and Eve were holy and they were perfect and they were beautiful and there was no separation between them and God. They related to God. They connected to God. There was camaraderie with God because they were like him. They were holy and pure and righteous. And so the union of God and Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and that temple, that place was pure and perfect. But then 
sin came into Adam and Eve's life, and they were driven out of the garden, out of the temple. There was separation between humanity and God. And ever since then, God is adamant that he doesn't want to be separated from us. And so he gives us a path to, to have a relationship with him again. In Exodus, when Moses was leading the people into the desert and then to the promised land, a tabernacle is established. This is the first physical location where the Jewish people would go to be reconnected to God. And at this point, it was just a tent and a canvas fence around it. There was a fence, an outer court, an inner court, and then a holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the holy presence of God was. And the only way that humans could be connected to the holy presence of the Lord is if they go through the process of cleansing themselves in different sinks, water, there's bread, there's candles, there's this animal sacrifice that's taking the place of the human. All of this process happens in the tabernacle in order for humanity to get connected to God. Then King David comes along many, many years later and says, God doesn't deserve to be in a tent. We need to build an actual building for humans to come to and connect with God. And, and God said, thank you for that, but you're not going to be the one to do it. Your son's going to do it, Solomon. So Solomon spends many years, billion dollars in our U.S. currency at this point and builds this amazing structure. The temple that Solomon built was the same dimensions and all the same process as the tabernacle, but now it's a physical location in the heart of Jerusalem. And uh, people began to worship there. But then the Israelites fell away from God and the Babylonians came in, conquered them, destroyed that building, tore it down to the ground. The Israelites were sent to captivity in Babylon for 70 years. Then they come back, rebuild the walls, begin to rebuild the temple again. And it wasn't until Jesus' time, this 46 years before Jesus was born, that King Herod began to build it all the way back to its beautiful height, dimensions, color, stone, wood, beautiful, beautiful edifice. And that is where Jesus is standing. That's where this story takes place, is in this temple that Herod built where humans and God could come together. And when Jesus says, you can tear down this temple and I will bring it back in three days, he's actually declaring the good news of the gospel of Jesus. He's saying it for the first time. That's why I don't want to rush through this and skip over this. This is the first time in the gospel of John right here where Jesus is telling us what's going to happen through his physical body. And what he is saying is that he is going to go to his death. He's the lamb of God. And he's going to take our place. He's going to be sacrificed, his physical body, so that then you and I, 2,000 years later, can have a relationship with God, not because we ascend to Jerusalem and offer a lamb, 
but because of Jesus' temple, the, what happened in Jesus' body, we now, you and I, can have a relationship with God because of what Jesus did in his body. The physical flesh and blood of Jesus earning our salvation. And he came because he knew how messed up we were. In fact, the last couple of verses I want to read to you here, verse 23, will share, show that. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And it's bad. Jesus knew that we were screwed up. That's why he came. It doesn't surprise him that we are messed up. It's like what, what it's saying here to me is so refreshing Jesus knows you're messed up. Jesus knows your past. Jesus knows what you've been through. Jesus knows just because you're a human, there's wired inside of you rebellion against him. He just knows that. And yet, he loves us so much, he came for us. I think that is the paradox that is such a beautiful thing, beautiful paradox, beautiful thing. Try to wrap your head around it's not like Jesus was in heaven, was like, I want to go save the world because they're just such good people. And then he got here, he's like, oh my goodness, these people are messed up. Why did I come? Right? No, that's not what he did. He came knowing how we're sin-filled. And yet he came anyway. And he paid the price with his beautiful life that he lived so that you and I could be in relationship with God again. Amen. That's awesome. But the issue that we have here in the temple is that they had made it into a house of trade. These people would have, should have been bringing sacrifices, lambs, oxen, pigeons, doves, from their home and brought them on a journey to Jerusalem. And then offered them in the temple in order to be right with God. That's what should have happened. But because of inconvenience, busyness, whatever, other people are like, hmm, we can make some money on this. So y'all don't have to bring your stuff anymore. Just bring some money and you can buy a sacrifice when you get here. Don't worry about bringing it from Jericho and see a Galilee and all that. No, 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 no. Just get here with your money. We'll sell you one. Well, it's like, is that really a bad thing? I mean, it's kind of a good idea that we don't have to worry about all that. You don't have to bring your best lamb. You can keep your lamb there. Just get some money, whatever you've got to trade, and it becomes a house of trade. It was a good idea, but it wasn't a God idea. God's idea was you're going to bring your sacrifice and the journey's part of the deal. Journeying with it was a big thing because it helped you understand the process and the faith in God. And so they were short-circuiting, they're circumventing, how about that, 
this plan of God because they thought, well, this is better. This is easier. This is cleaner. And so you got both sides of it. You got the people that were selling, making money on these sacrifices, changing the money. Then you've got the people buying. And frankly, I think both of those people are in the wrong. Both. It's not just the people that are selling it that have a fault here, but it's the people that are not following the process of God and trying to make it easier. That is the house of trade. That is what's happening here. And the issue of, of this is that the people think they have a better way. Instead of just being faithful and, tr and trusting that God has a plan and following that plan, even when it means inconvenience, they decide to do it a different way. And I, and I, don't, I don't want to just rush through that. I want us to sit there for a second and I want us to think about our own life. The temple went from being the Garden of Eden to a tabernacle to a physical building to another physical building to Jesus. The body of Jesus is now the temple where salvation is. Salvation is no longer a process or a procedure, but it's now a person. Salvation is Jesus, the man Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing. But as we keep reading the New Testament, we see that now, in fact, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.16, actually 1 Corinthians 3.16, says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So it's really, this message today is the progression of the temple from being the Garden of Eden to being us to someday when the fullness of time has fully come and everything has been fully redeemed and we're living in eternity with Jesus forever face to face, we're going to be in that same Garden of Eden environment. Okay? It's going to be a beautiful thing. But as of now, 2024, everybody do this right here. This is the temple of the Lord. And I want you to do a little evaluation of this temple. How have I made this temple a house of trade? What have I done to trade God's plan for my plan? And instead of being faithful and trusting God in the difficult times and continuing to walk with him through these difficult times, so often we shift to our own plans because we think, well, this is easier. This is more convenient. And I'm glad you came here today to hear that your plan, as convenient as it is and as easy as it is or whatever, is never as good as God's plan. God's plan 
is what we need to follow and hold on to. And honestly, if we don't go any further than this, just holding on to Jesus in and of himself is the best plan you can have. And it's amazing to me, I think, it's natural for us not to do that. The natural thing for us to do is to do things where we see immediate results, tangible things, quantifiable, measurable. And when it comes to God's plan, oftentimes it doesn't make sense and there's a lot of ambiguity about it. But God is calling us to trust him. Trust him. And if he says to you to take a lamb and go to Jerusalem, and that's going to be what you should do, guess what you should do? You should take a lamb and you should take it to Jerusalem. Now, you know and I know at this day and time, we don't have to do that particular thing. But there's other things that God is calling us to do, to be in, to live out. And instead of doing that, we've traded it for something easier. And instead of just being awkward in the tension of God's plan, not working immediately or costing us more money or costing us more time or separating us from other people and us not wanting to go through all of that, we've made this house a house of trade instead of a house of prayer. And I'm just calling everybody back to prayer today. Let's come back to the home base. Let's come back to the core message of the gospel of Jesus. That no matter how good you are, how fast you are, how much money you make, how much friends you have, what you've acquired or whatever, it's never enough. But in Jesus, he is enough. And when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies inside that temple ripped in half and opened up. And Phillips Craig and Dean, a group that's been singing a long time that we're connected with here at Promised Land, they, they have a song that they sang many years ago called Mercy Came Running. And that song, Mercy Came Running, comes from this concept that when that curtain was ripped in half, the presence of the Lord is now rushing out to all of humanity, rushing out to you, knowing that you're a sin-filled person, knowing that you're far from him. And the presence of the Lord is now available. And the, the Holy Spirit, that's why we're talking about the Holy Spirit session. We're going to go into it even further in those sessions. But just a little precursor to that. The Holy Spirit of God is now available to meet with you in this temple right here because of the work of Jesus. And let's never... Let's never put a substitute for that, for him. 
There's so many things in this world that we participate in that give us joy and pleasure, satisfaction, fulfillment. And we can often get sucked into those things because of that immediate feeling that we get from those things. But we're trading. We've become a house of trade. We're trading the sweetness of the holy presence of the Lord for a cheap substitute. Whether that's something you're drinking or smoking or uh, taking or it's a relationship, it's a sexual thing, it's a, it's a marriage, uh, it's a role maybe as a father, a mother, a husband, a wife, um, a CEO, a person at, you know, Texas State, whatever, whatever it is that is, that is forming that sort of identity for you and um, filling that gap. None of, I don't believe any of us, none of us ever wake up and be like, you know what, I've got a better plan than Jesus. Today I'm going to do this other thing because it's better than Jesus' plan. Those people that didn't take their sacrifice to Jerusalem, they didn't consciously say, we're going to leave our sacrifice. You know, we know God said to do that, but we're just going to leave it here because we got a better. That's not what happens. But it's so natural for us, so easy for us. The easy thing for us to do is to rely on ourselves, what we can see and feel and touch, instead of committing this temple to being a house of prayer and a house of devotion to God. And so I want us to do that. Would you stand to your feet right now? I want us, I want us to read Hebrews 3, 6, and then I want us to pray and sing a, sing a chorus. Hebrews 3 and 6, But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house. Okay? We are God's house if, somebody say if, if, if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. The only way that we remain the house of God, the temple of God, is not by having courage and remaining confident in ourselves, but instead remaining confident in our hope in Christ. The work of Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me right now and let, let us just go to him in prayer. And maybe you need to do an evaluation of your temple right now. Lord, how has my life been a cheap substitute for what you really desire for me? How have I easily and subconsciously shifted from your ways to my ways. I want to be like Jesus today and I want a clean house. I don't want there to be any trading going on in my life. God, I lay down 
my ways for your ways. Would you just confess that to God right now? Heavenly Father, we lay down my ways, our ways for your ways, God. In the name of Jesus, Father, please forgive us of our sin. Come on, let's repent before God right now. We repent of our sin before you. In the name of Jesus, Father, we, for, we ask for forgiveness. And we pray, Lord, that you would come into our life and purify us. That my life would be a house of prayer. That my, my, my body would be a sanctuary for the presence of the Lord. And that I would not compromise or allow anything into my being, Lord, that is pushing you out or making my own way, Lord Jesus. God, no, no, no. I humble myself before you today. And we just pray for the power of the presence of the Lord, the Holy Spirit of God to come and be with us, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Let's sing.
about